We'll continue with the reading of the word. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. My name is PJ. Uh, I serve as, as an elder here. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, today we're reading John chapter 15, 1 through 17. <clears throat> I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please welcome Pastor Murray Wilton. Hi, friends morning great to see you this morning and thank you for the wonderful opportunity to share um, in the word of God today PJ thank you so much for leading in worship reading the scriptures Beth thank you Um, really appreciate very much your staff and your pastor and just the trust to be able to come and share uh, out of the riches of the glory of Almighty God. It's delightful for me to introduce to you Rachel. Rachel and I have been married since 2010 and Rachel has three awesome married sons and nine grandchildren. So when we put all ours together we're we're dealing with 11 grandchildren. It's kind of a a good praxis, you know, for learning, learning life. We have in our English language what we call the degrees of comparison. So you have the normative and then the comparative. A lot of us as believers live in the comparative. Well, you know, compared to that person, <laughs> I'm kind of here or I'm kind of there. And then we have another degree called the superlative. And actually, 
Christ is our superlative. And he is magnificent. And we don't really know where we are. We can look back and we can say, oh, I experienced that good and then I got better. But really, on the degrees of comparison, we have no idea yet of what the the superlative is like. But my quest in life is that Jesus is the superlative. And when I get on the other side, when I divest myself of the tent of this age, then I will be transformed into his likeness. And I will know what it's like to experience the superlative. This side of heaven, however, and for me, God has justified me because of faith and trust in the finished work of the Lord Jesus. So I know that I know that I know that if I were to Leave the tent of this age, I'll be present with the Lord. And that indeed is something that is quite marvelous. We haven't been there yet. We're on the journey though. But on this side, there's another process called sanctification. Becoming more like him. And I presume that if heaven is being transformed into his likeness, and it's really good, then on this side, attaining that superlative, God's heart for me would be for me to enter into that in growing measures. It's got to be good. And in fact, that is the testimony of my life. So we have a theme, I was with with you last week, and we have a theme, our book study for these four weeks is John's Gospel, and we have a theme, it's called Life, Light, and Love. So when we looked at Life, Light, and Love, we looked at the, what we call the prologue of John. We love that. There's another prologue there in 1 John. And when you look at the prologue of 1 John, the first four verses, you're going to notice that it's visceral. That which we have seen and touched, tasted. And it has to do with koinonia. Our fellowship with one another and our fellowship with the Father and with his Son. So John is not just meant to be theoretical or theological. It certainly is. He's going to take us into wonderful insight. The always was being Logos who came to be is. No one at any time has seen the Father. However, the monogenes huios, the unique son, the superlative son, that one has exegeted him. That one has 
revealed him and made him known to us. So last week we looked at the fact that we have life. And we have life that is called bios life or biological life. We also noted something about our biological life. And that is it has a real problem. It's terminal. It's going to be overcome by death. And in fact, even as we live, we experience the terminal nature of the bios life that we have. God solves the ultimate human plight. And that is, What happens if we are overcome by death and still are affected by the viral activity of sin that separates us from our Creator? So God says, in Him was life. Now when we look at that Greek word, we know that the word life there is not bios. It is Z-O-E. And as we read through John's Gospel, we're going to notice that there is a modifier that goes along with it. Every one of us could put up our hand and quote John 3.16. For God so loved. Or, if we go to the letter, the first epistle, in this way God demonstrated his love. God so loved the world that he gave his monogenes huios, his unique son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but will inherit as a gift. The divine God uniquely giving to us something called life that has this modifier eternal. It is Ionios. It has this quality to it. It overcomes death. So God solves this by sending the life of Christ, uniquely delivering in Christ the Zoe that has the very essential ingredient that we need which represents our most dramatic human plight, the life that overcomes. And John is going to say his life is false, it's light, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness doesn't overcome the light, but rather the light overcomes the darkness. And so we see that out of the divine mercy of God, He does not want to keep us in the dark. In fact, God has gone to incredible sacrificial lengths. He is rich in mercy and loves so unconditionally that he has sent his son, not to hide this from us, but rather to bring light in darkness. His light His life is light and his 
Life is love. This is the very nature of God. So I wouldn't blame you if you're just like me. How come I know that I'm going to heaven and I definitely have a relationship with God? But I don't really know if I'm experiencing all of the benefits. Am I really appropriating what God so richly has provided for me? Because otherwise some of the words of Jesus don't make much sense. The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come not just that you would have life, but that you would have it abundantly. This creates in me a divine dissatisfaction. It's not that kind of dissatisfaction that pushes me back into try-harder Christianity. But it is a divine dissatisfaction to realize that God in Christ has provided for me to live abundantly and I may not be availing myself of all of the benefits of that. It's not because God has not provided. It's because maybe I'm not appropriating them. That's why John chapter 14 through chapter 16 are so wonderful. They're called the paraclete passages. Kaleo to call. Para, from which we get our word, parallel. And literally, in chapter 14, Jesus is going to say, I'm going to the Father, and we will come, and we will be with you and in you. And then in chapter 16, oh, by the way, that is the Holy Spirit who is called alongside. He is the counselor, the comforter. He is the executor of the divine provisions of the new covenant. He makes it practically applicable. In fact, that job description is written in chapter 16. He will take from all that is mine and reveal it and make it known to you. And right in the middle is chapter 15. And we love chapter 15. Why? Because we have here not a parable but an agricultural metaphor. It's Jesus helping regular people like you and me to understand dynamic spiritual truth. And as PJ read for us, this agricultural metaphor is filled with truth. Jesus is the vine and we're branches. Now, maybe we're not that familiar with vineyards and vines and maybe horticulture isn't our specialty. But if we lived in that day, we would totally understand that. And we're in the growing season and so we love to grow things and we love to enjoy the fruit of what we grow. And we can look at the items that are growing so readily and there's an expectation 
wow, we did a lot of hard work to do this in order to get that. We can enjoy it. We can enjoy the fruit of this. Jesus says that he is the vine and we're the branches and God the Father is the gardener. I don't know about you, but I love the fact that the Bible says that our God is absolutely sovereign and he has us in the hand, in his hands and sometimes it doesn't look like it. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Boy, I can look back over my life and see that God sovereignly and lovingly has been allowing circumstances and people and painful events and things that I would rather have not gone through at the time. But all the time, he has been lovingly pruning my life, not for harm, but to make me more fruitful. The gardener, the father, lovingly is tending my life, and even though I don't like this, I can say in any circumstance and trial, God, I don't like that, but you have a really good track record of bringing good out of something that is really hard. And I can go back to one of my favorite proverbs, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge the Lord and he will direct your paths. So as we look at this agricultural metaphor, we see Jesus as the vine and we are the branches. The Father is the gardener and he's faithfully at work working with us individually through life and circumstance. And all of the work of the Father is so that we would be more fruitful. In fact, John chapter 15 says, not only are we appointed for fruitfulness, we're anointed for fruitfulness so that our lives would become increasingly fruitful. Growing in fruitfulness. Well, what is the key then? Here's where it gets difficult. Because there's a condition. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. And you are the branches. If a man remains in him, in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If any one does not remain in me, He is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish 
and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. What is the word that you hear the most out of those ten verses? Remain. Stay. It's repeated ten times in those few verses. So, we're asking the Lord, what does it actually mean to abide and how does that happen? How does abiding happen? Because it seems as though abiding is the key to a growing fruitfulness. In order to do this, we need to go back to John's Gospel, chapter 1, and there we're going to find John the Baptist. Not the author of the book, John the Beloved Disciple, but rather John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. And John came and he said, look, my, um, my job is to point you to Jesus. And he says, I would not have known him except the one who sent me said, the one upon whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. That one will immerse you with the Holy Spirit. Now the Greek word there is M-E-N-O. Meno. The one upon whom you see the Spirit descend and mano. The one who, upon whom you see the, the Spirit descend and abide, remain. That one is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Wow. You mean what happened to Jesus is going to happen to me? That's what we find out in John's Gospel. Then the disciples of John start to follow Jesus and he turns around and he says, What do you want? And they say, Rabbi, where are you abiding? Same Greek word. And he says, Come and you will see. Notice in John chapter 1, that as they follow him, they abide with him. There's no description of what the place looks like where he was staying. When we get to John chapter 14, Jesus says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in me, believe also in God. In my Father's house, and I know we we use this because it's true, or many mansions. In my Father's house, there are many wonderful places. This is talking about heaven. Don't be troubled. God is coming to 
take us. Jesus is going there, but we believe he's coming to get us again so that we will be with him. I pray sincerely that I'm a part of that generation that are actually here when the Lord returns. I think it will be just wonderful. But actually the Greek word there is meno. Literally, yes, I'm going to heaven and I'm coming back. But there's another meaning here in the context of the paraclete passages where Jesus is saying, literally, in my father's household are many abiding places. This is a great mystery. But later on in John chapter 14, I'm going to the Father and we, Jesus the Son and God the Father, will come and we will take up residence with you and we will be in you. And here's the wonderful thing, and we're not leaving. We're not leaving. In other words, Jesus promised that he would be with us and in us and he's not going to leave us as orphans. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel abandoned. Sometimes I feel alone. Sometimes I feel abandoned to the circumstances of life. And then I get all fearful and afraid and I start to take control of my life all over again. And in that moment, I forget the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm with you and in you and I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. So, this agricultural metaphor is all about a love relationship with God, with others, and with myself. It's about a relationship. It's about a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not an it, it's not a thing. The Holy Spirit is not going anywhere. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God. The Holy Spirit, according to Paul, is the Spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit is Christ in me, and he's not a thing. He's God with me at all times, everywhere, between now and when I go and divest myself of the tent of this age. So, fruitfulness is about the abiding, and Jesus says, Abide in my love. So how do we experience the benefits of these, these relationships? Well, I think that this is where we go from the rational to the relational. And we can learn so much from 
relationships. You may want to be in a relationship with another person. You may truly love that person and want a relationship with them. But you know that it really requires a reciprocity. Doesn't it? It requires reciprocity. You might have had a crazy love for somebody at one time. You thought you were going to die. Because they didn't reciprocate. So, when we think about relationships, they are best transacted in the present. They are dynamic and individual, and they're always reciprocal. The offer is given, and the offer is received. And my real problem from a day-to-day basis, is that I forget that God, in fact, is with me and He is there to help me and I forget about His presence and so I start to look at the waves and I start to look at the troubles and then immediately I get into fix-it mode and I simply forget the great help the counsel, the wisdom of the counsel of Almighty God. So it's not whether the Spirit leaves me. It's whether I quench the Holy Spirit. Well, um, if you, as you get to know Rachel, I thank God for Rachel because I'm always learning about relational principles as I study her. She's really good at it. (laughs) And so God's given me a living example of someone who is constantly taking the initiative. Friends, unfortunately, if you were raised like me, and I didn't perfectly obey the Lord or willfully sin against him. I thought he left me and was waiting for me to shape up, become more spiritual in order for him to return. And that's simply not true. God loves us And his love is called unconditional. I don't know about you, but his life, Zoe, is eternal. It does bring light. But mostly I forget that God's love for me is unconditional. As much as I love my wife, I know that there's still a condition attached to it. Most of us have been loved by somebody in a most spectacular way, but still their love does not compare to the love of Almighty God. God's love is absolutely unconditional. You know what that means? Without condition. And Satan comes to you and me 
And he says, you didn't perform well enough. You thought that way. You had that attitude. I'm telling you what, if you were raised the way I was, you can be performing 90%. And then you have a wild thought or a bad attitude or willfully do something. And that old devil, he knows exactly he doesn't come along and say, oh, well done, you did really well for about 99 out of 100. He wants you to forget about all of that. And he zeroes in on those places where we fall short of the glory of Almighty God. And he points a finger right at it and he says to us, you have fallen short of God's glory. He infests us with condemnation and then he tells us a lie. God has left you and until you get right with God, God is not coming back. Brothers and sisters, that's not the truth of God's gospel. It's certainly possible to quench the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? God is offering constantly. He loves us. How much more does God have to do other than sacrificing His only Son coming on the ultimate mission trip where he left the divine glory of heaven and sent Jesus all the way to the earth that had been infested by the viral activity of sin coming to you and to me and sacrificing his life so that we would become his children. Giving us the spirit of adoption. Crying out to us. Abba, Father. Because you are sons and daughters. God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. And the spirit is crying out. Abba, Father. But boy, that old devil lies to us. Then we get all fearful. Well, God's abandoned me. I'm totally alone. And so we get into try harder Christianity. God says, no, I've never left you or forsaken you. I'm right there with you. And my love for you is unconditional. But any love relationship demands an offering and a receiving. And sometimes we go into hiding. I don't know if you've noticed, but many of our brothers and sisters who we have known, something happens to them. Then you know what happens? They disappear from community. They run away. They hide. God comes to you and me today. And says, I haven't left you. And he stands here and just offers. He says, I'm here, I love you unconditionally. We have to exercise our free will and say, God, thank you. I accept your offer. 
But it's so much better if we will do this preemptively. Divine dissatisfaction. Where am I? I invited you to ask the Lord that. You see, this fruitfulness is joy. If you read, this fruitfulness is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And the very first ones that is mentioned in that list is joy. And then peace. Joy and then peace. Now you and I experience both happy and sad circumstances. The end of John chapter 16. In this world you will have trouble. I doubt if there's a single believer here this morning who does not say, Yep, those words of Jesus are true. But then he doesn't stop there. He says, however, in me you have peace. So yes, circumstances can be happy or sad. But friends, I find no biblical antonym for joy. There are, however, measures of joy. If you go to the great prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17, Lord, I'm praying not just for these disciples, but I'm praying for those who will believe as a result of their testimony. In other words, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was praying for you and me that we would have a full measure of joy. Sometimes joy can become so elusive that we've just given up. I'll settle with the good. What happens if God has more for you? Well, it's better now than it was, but what happens if God has the superlative of joy? Can we be preemptive? So yes, a divine dissatisfaction will give us a vision of God's provision. And he has provided the Holy Spirit. And then we need some steps. So what are those steps? The devil's a liar. Let God be true. Brothers and sisters, this word is not just to be memorized. It's to be spoken you'll find that the renewal of the mind is not just a theology. There's also a physiology that goes along with the renewal of the mind. And the mind is more quickly transformed according to the sound of my own voice. It's not just that we believe the scriptures, but that we have opened them and we've read it out loud. I thank you, God, that you are the living God, that you are true, that you are the divine Logos. I thank you for the Holy Spirit who will remind me of all of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you, God, that you say in your word, 
that you have given me life. And your life is light and it is love because you are love. And Lord, I invite you today to root me and ground me and anchor me in the love of God. And then turn around and welcome the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, it's your job to be the executor of the new covenant. I invite you to take the very nature, the divine nature of Jesus Christ and make it applicable to my mind where I think, in my heart where I have feelings, in my soul where I relate and in my body. I invite you, Lord. He does it in the present. You say, well, will he do it tomorrow? Absolutely. And when you get there, It'll be the present. And will he do it next week? Yep. And when you get there, it'll be in the present. But relational help comes in the present. So I invite you today to take God at his word. I'm the vine. You're the branches. I've ordained you to be fruitful. Fruit that lasts. I've ordained you, but abide in me. Remain in my love. I want to invite you to just join me in a prayer that I introduced to you last Sunday. I wrote this prayer many years ago as I was on the same journey and still am with you. It's out of Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 says, If you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that he has given us authority, that he is Lord, you'll enter into the provisions of the Zoe Ionios. Not just justification, but into the provisions of of sanctification. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I believe in my heart, God, you have raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus, you are Lord. You are my Lord. I thank you for the authority that you have given to me to live by your resurrection life through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. I invite your work in me, and I invite your work through me, for the glory of God, in the name of Jesus. Amen.